0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Sex, Drugs, and Self-Care. I am your host, Elliot, and this is a very special episode for National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. I was lucky enough to be able to sit down and talk with Jeffrey Gillis, who is a lecturer in the UNC Nutrition and Dietetics Department. He got his Master of Food and Nutrition degree from Bowling Green State University and also completed a dietetic internship at Ohio State University. Jeff is a registered dietitian nutritionist and a certified personal trainer. He's also very good at travel hacking and once managed to spend nearly two weeks in Europe without paying for anything but food. Jeff's professional passion is building awareness for eating disorders in men. So that is what we are talking about today. Eating disorders in men and the warning signs, differences in presentation and obstacles to treatment. Obviously, eating disorders are something that everybody experiences differently, and there are so many layers of nuance. Um, you might notice that we use pretty general gendered language, but obviously this is much more complex than that. This is just sort of intended to reach a specific group that often gets left out of the mainstream narrative of eating disorders, Jart, you know, so many, but this time specifically men. Stay tuned through the end of the episode for some information about resources around UNC, and feel free to reach out to me or Jeff directly with any questions you might have. So without further ado, here's Jeffrey Gillis. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today, Jeff.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm happy to. Actually, I'm really excited to chat about it. So I'm glad we could arrange it.
0: Definitely. Me too. So first question is a pretty basic one. How would you define eating disorders?
1: Uh, You know, I think eating disorders are, are so, it's such a very general word, you know, and there's so many different ways to define it. I think really generally speaking, we really think of it in terms of, you know, psychological disorders where they kind of manifest themselves nutritionally though. So it's, A lot of people see it as like a nutritional issue, which it most definitely is. And that's where dietitians come in. Um, But the primary kind of form that it presents itself in is in a psychological state. So it's kind of a a manner of thinking or a lot of times it's an obsession. And then it just kind of shows itself with food to some degree, you know, and with nutrition to some degree. So very generally speaking, I think any definition of an eating disorder is some sort of psychological disorder uh, predominantly. Yeah, definitely.
0: It feels like in the media or in popular culture, we kind of get one representation, one narrative of what it looks like. Obviously, there are as many different experiences as people who brush up against this stuff. But how might like the reality or the lived experience of people with eating disorders is different
1: than that? Yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah, I think, you know, hitting on your point there of, you know, what we see of eating disorders in media represented in television and movies and um, on the news, maybe even potentially, you know, talking about individuals that are, you know, very skinny, very obviously malnourished, very skin and bones, they're not eating anything, they're starving themselves, and they're kind of just withering away. Um and to be fair, that is most definitely um, getting into an eating disorder, at, least, at very least some sort of medical condition. But there's so much more to eating disorders than just that. You know, that's kind of the very stereotypical anorexia nervosa kind of uh, experience. But then with bulimia nervosa, you could have somebody that's actually, in fact, most of the time we're seeing people that are at considered a healthy weight or maybe even potentially overweight. Um, People with binge eating disorder as well. Uh, It's the the third kind of classic eating disorder, and that usually presents itself as a as a healthy weight or overweight or obese. And so, you know, individuals that are obese, where most people would think they wouldn't necessarily identify that with an eating disorder, uh, it very well could be. So, it presents itself in a lot of different ways. And you know, again, in media too, it's very much represented as as uh, a feminine sort of experience, you know, whereas somebody that identifies as a woman is experiencing this, um, but that's not necessarily the case too. It runs the gambit to all types of people and all sorts of identities. And so, yeah, I think that's a really great question and that what media is representing uh, for eating disorders is a very, very narrow focus and it's much more broad than that. And it can really affect just about anybody. Definitely.
0: Yeah. And I feel like that idea that it's only, you know, that one type of person. I know so many people who have struggled with eating disorders, and either nobody takes them seriously or people are kind of like, oh, hey, you're doing really great. You're getting healthy if they are like at a larger size to begin with.
1: Yeah. And yeah. So yeah. That's actually, you know, it's even like a whole other conversation, you know, when people, People sort of unknowingly enable an eating disorder in somebody. So like you just said, you know, if somebody says, well, hey, you're looking really good and you're getting healthy, be very sure that you know that they're actually getting healthy, you know, because just how they look doesn't really represent anything and it doesn't really tell you anything. Think of a story. I have a friend who's a a classically trained ballet dancer. And she suffered from an eating disorder for years. And that's that that sort of sport that feel that ballet dancing is, is very rampant with anorexia nervosa. Um, because there's this this idealization of a very specific body type that you have to have, and you have to look a certain way and be a certain way. And, you know, not a drop of body fat on you. And so I think she she had told me a story once where she was in the height of her anorexia, yeah anorexia nervosa, and it was really bad. And not eating anything, and eating very little throughout the day, and and only even taking little sips of you know whatever it was, Mountain Dew or even just water. Um, and then somebody commented, "Oh, you look great!" Though. Like you know, you you look great. Like everything you're doing, whatever you're doing, keep it up. And it's like, oh, like that that was the worst possible thing you could say to somebody in that state. Um, Because that just sort of validated what she was doing, which of course is a really unhealthy behavior.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard. Just any expectation of what a body should look like in general, like in sports like that and fields like that. And also even like in the trans community that I'm in, I see that stuff all the time. And especially like if somebody develops something like this or relapses into something like this in sort of the early stages of their transition people will just be like oh my god great you're looking so much more like a woman or you're looking so much more like a man and it's just yeah absurd but yeah. I know you work um with raising awareness around
1: men with eating disorders,
0: mm-hmm. would you say that eating disorders present any differently
1: in men? Yeah, uh, you know they can present in similar ways, so it's not to say it's always different. You know, there mm-hmm. definitely is this spectrum of how it presents, but um, typically with um, men, what we're seeing is more of an obsession with muscle mass growth and things like that. So whereas individuals identify as a woman are maybe experiencing more of the restrictions and getting closer to that anorexia nervosa side of the spectrum um, because media is telling them hey be skinny and be this sort of really petite figure which is only one possible representation of you know the the feminine figure whereas men are are given this sort of push towards being ripped and being more the bodybuilder type and you know, like Ryan Gosling and Ryan Reynolds stuff, you know, like that. Like that's what a man is, you know, and that's the representation that we're sent um, very directly and indirectly in media. And so, what we're seeing in individuals that are men are that they tend to become more obsessed with lifting, more obsessed with that side of things um, and striving for the perfect physique, very similarly to what women would do with anorexia nervosa, but it's just on the different side of it. So, you know, women with anorexia nervosa are striving for a physique that's really petite and tiny, where, you know, the quote unquote classic feminine figure, uh, whereas men are pushed more towards the classic masculine figure of having a lot of muscle definition and a muscle size even, um, and low body fat and six pack, eight pack abs, you know, stuff like that. And so typically what we see is there's a disorder known as muscular dysmorphia. Uh, It's also known as bigorexia uh, because it's kind of like anorexia, but it's, they're striving to be bigger, you know, muscularly. And so a lot of times it can get into a really gray area because again, like we said, media is very much representing eating disorders within feminine culture. And so masculine culture is sort of kicked to the curb of, well, you you can't have an eating disorder like that that's for women and that's not obviously the truth so a lot of people and a lot of men that are actually experiencing this don't even realize they're experiencing it you know they don't even realize they have an eating disorder or they they have these issues because um i even had a student once come to me and say this and he had said well i think it's just it's just dedication you know it's it's not an eating disorder it's just dedication and it's like well I mean, is it though, you know, um, you know, like, yes, you can be dedicated and I definitely support that dedication, but if it starts to get into an obsession, then that gets into the psychological territory of how eating disorders present themselves. And then you really are feeding into an eating disorder, you know, ultimately in the long run. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Can you say more about that? And I know it might be a blurry line, but if there's any way we can point to any sort of line between like like how could somebody tell that they are getting into a gray zone when we live in like a culture and a society that really wants us to be working out to be like perfecting our bodies um yeah how do you tell if you're just working on something for yourself versus when you're getting into like a territory where it might be damaging for you
1: Sure. Yeah, no. And I think that is a very hard thing to kind of differentiate for a lot of people. Um, and I think the, the differentiating line really starts to appear with your motivations for doing it. You know, um, are you a pro athlete, even an NCAA athlete, in which case, okay, yeah, you're doing it for the sport and you're doing it to be a better competitor. And that can make sense. Um, if you're doing it for some sport i really across the line it could be bodybuilding or something i suppose we could start to get into that a little bit but um when it becomes obsessive territory when it becomes if you don't do it you feel guilty or remorseful or if it's so closely tied to your self-image and self-worth more importantly i think that that is very much getting into that psychological danger zone so to speak of you know that obsession and that eating disorder mind state. So individuals that are, I didn't get to the gym today. And, um, oh, you know, I'm such an awful person and I'm such a POS and like, I, I need to get out and I need to do something. And, you know, like, oh, I, I hate myself for this and, you know, whatever, you know, you start to go down that rabbit hole. Um, that's, that's really devastating, um, mental processes. That's really devastating psychological mind state to be in um and then it sort of creates that obsession that that need to do it so i think if you enjoy doing it and it can be a part of your identity most definitely but if it's a part of your self-worth if it's a part of um the quality of life that you experience almost in a way like if you don't do it it will be devastating i think that that is really an eating disorder or at least psychological disorder to some degree. So, you know, like bodybuilders, like you have to be in the gym. You have to be doing this if you want to strive for that. Um, And I think you almost have to have an obsession over it. But also nobody said that bodybuilders don't have eating disorders. So um, in fact, I think the vast majority of bodybuilders do. And so, or have some sort of psychological Sort of imbalance. And I don't know, I'm trying to be careful with the words I use there, but, um, you know, some sort of psychological disorder um, in the sense of how you view yourself and how you view your self worth and um, that sort of thing. So, you know, if it was like the bodybuilders, just like, well, I love the competition of it. And, you know, they treat it as a sport, then okay, I guess. Um, if it starts to get into abusing food in some way and obsession over food in some way, you know, of like a very regimented diet, uh, super strict, you're not allowed to do this or this, you know, you have these, these really hard set rules of you can't do this and you can't do that. That's most definitely getting into eating disorder territory. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people, unfortunately, a lot of men can easily get into that because of the strive for that masculine physique and i think that's that's where a lot of people don't necessarily see um you know what somebody that might be trained to look for it would see
0: right definitely i feel like it's got to be so hard with those things that are so tied to your body being such a specific way because your body goes everywhere with you and then you gotta it just becomes everything so those are some unique ways that men might like Experience eating disorder. What challenges do you think they face uniquely in seeking help or seeking treatment or even identifying that they need that in the first place?
1: Yeah, I think even identifying that they they need it is a huge thing. Um, And so this is something that I've experienced. Um, There's also an eating disorder known as orthorexia. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's what I've experienced in my past. And I didn't ever realize I had it until years later. So you know, it's one of those things that's really hard to notice. And so, what my experience was with it, just to give some background, I had um, I graduated with my undergrad in business, and I I was looking for um, looking for a job in advertising, and I was really wasn't able to find anything. Um, and it was it was right during the recession, so there were no jobs available, um, and I just I couldn't get ahead, and it was. You know, anybody that leaves college looking for a career, it's a stressful time. It's what am I going to do with my life? You know, what's the next step and and all that. And so I kind of reevaluated and decided I wanted to go back for kind of a health related field. And I decided I didn't really want to go back to school, though. So I became a personal trainer and kind of self self self-study program, became a personal trainer, moved out to Arizona because Arizona just sounded cool at the time. I, I knew nobody there. I'd never been there before in my life. I was like, "Yeah, Arizona. Let's go to Phoenix. Sure, why not?" Um, it was twenty-two. It sounded sounded fun. It was exotic, and so I moved out there, knew nobody. I had a job lined up, but didn't have any friends, didn't have any family, didn't know the territory. Um, and then very quickly, when I got out there, my job fell through. I was a personal trainer at at a a, a gym that has now gone bankrupt, um, Bally's Total Fitness, but. And that didn't work out. And so I lost my job and I had made a couple friends through work, but the couple friends that I made had decided to move back home like a week or two after I met them. And so they're like, we're moving back to Michigan. And I was like, okay, sure. Uh, so I lost kind of the friends that I had built. Um, I was in a romantic relationship with my girlfriend back in Ohio um, before I moved out there and we had split up when I moved out. And so then I kind of lost that aspect. And I went down this path of, I didn't really have much control over anything anymore. I didn't feel like I had a lot of control over anything. So I lost my job. I lost the friends that I made. I lost my girlfriend. I had no friends or family to fall back on. I was I ended up getting a job at Target um, and not to bash Target, but it really wasn't where I saw myself working at this time You know, in my life. I was like, I have a bachelor's degree in business. I should be doing something more. Um, and so it was a really hard time. And so I had tons of free time on my hands and I, I wanted to be healthy. And so this was before I ever became a dietitian or even took a single nutrition class. And so I just went based off what I thought I knew about nutrition. Um, and I just was obsessive over what I ate. And when I ate, I ate it every three hours on the hour mark. So I wouldn't even allow myself you know, to eat at two hours and 50 minutes. It was three hours exactly every day. And then I was exercising two or three times a day because I just had nothing to do. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to be healthy and I'm just going to finally get my life in order and I'm going to finally be healthy now. And I would go out and exercise a ton and I'd be eating. Now looking back, it was very hypocaloric, meaning it was very low calories. I wasn't getting enough calories for what I was doing. Um, and I was eating, quote unquote, all the things that I thought were healthy course, now looking back, they weren't necessarily the healthiest things, but at the time it was like, well, yeah, this is what health is. And so I would eat these, these health foods. And my mom came out to visit, um, maybe a month after this all kind of was going on. And she actually told me, she's like, I'm actually really worried about you. Um, and I was like, why? She's like, you're really skinny. You're losing a lot of weight. And I said, I'm just healthy. You know, don't worry about me. Worry about yourself. You know, I'm worried about you. You don't worry about me. You know, um, and so it was very much a deflection. It was very much an avoidance of the topic. It was this mindset of no, I'm just being healthy. I can't possibly have a problem like that those things don't align. Um, but that's what orthorexia is. It's an obsession with healthy behaviors. So if you start to obsess over these things like I was clearly doing, it's very much an eating disorder. And luckily for me, I decided to move back to Ohio and I went back to school and became a dietitian and got a master's in nutrition and and kind of went on a different path. And all it took was me moving back to Ohio and it completely went away uh, because I had this lack of control ultimately in my life. And unfortunately this is how a lot of eating disorders present themselves for people is, if people feel like they have a lack of control over something in some way, nutrition is one of those things that we can control, all of us can control. Even if you have you know really oppressive parents that are telling you what to do all day long, 24 seven, you can still control what you eat and when you eat and how much you eat. And so this is how a lot of people find control in their lives is through food or exercise or something like that. And that is ultimately how eating disorders, um, from my experience, at least have presented themselves. But yeah, it's so getting back to the point with that, I didn't even know I had an eating disorder. So there's a certain amount of education to talk about, what orthorexia even is, you know, and talk about that side of it. That there's a lot of different other eating disorders besides anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder. There's a lot more beyond those three. Those are definitely the big three, but um, orthorexia, another one. Night eating disorder is another one. Um, Dia bulimia is another one for people with diabetes. Muscular dysmorphia. There's there's many many more. And so, first, I think the biggest hurdle is getting men to even acknowledge they have this issue. Uh, and again, it very much in male culture and masculine culture, we're taught from a very young age, uh, very directly and indirectly, through media, through family, um, however it is, and that we're not allowed to have problems. That we're not allowed to have problems when we, we're most definitely not allowed to talk about our problems and tell people we have problems and to go to somebody and complain because that's how it's seen. It's like, Oh, you're just complaining, you know, suck it up and just deal with it. Like that's sort of the, the masculine idea. And so for a man to even first realize he has a problem, but then also to seek out help is an entirely additional step beyond that. I think is even harder to accomplish So the first thing in realizing you have a problem is the education. And fortunately, I think we're very far away from getting to a point where everybody universally understands that men can have eating disorders and they can present themselves in a variety of different ways. That's really an educational piece. Um, In an ideal world, how eating disorders are represented in media would also change. Um, and there would be more representation universally on all different types of individuals and all different types of body types, um, and, you know, lived experiences would be represented, but that I think is very far away. And so it's, I think it's just acknowledging that first, yes, there are male eating disorders or, or eating disorders that manifest themselves in men and, then seeking out help for that you know it's first you have to realize that there even could be a problem then you have to realize that you do have a problem then you have to take the steps to actually seek out help and so unfortunately it involves a a cultural shift of you know what kind of what we're living in right now and honestly i think my take on it is we have to start with the education piece, you know, and that's why I do stuff like this. And that's why I talk about it. That's why I want this to be part of the conversation. Um, because I know there's, you know, if I was out there and experiencing these things, um, I'm sure there's plenty of others out there that are experiencing it too. And also first even acknowledging that we'll, men can also have anorexia and men do have anorexia nervosa um, and bulimia nervosa and binge eating disorder and every other type of eating disorder too. Um, It's not just a woman dominated uh, sort of condition uh, as, you know, like we said, as as represented in media. So yeah, I think the education piece, um, getting people to even first acknowledge kind of what's going on to be self-aware enough is, is a huge hurdle. And then trying to remedy that trying to figure out well what's what are the reasons behind this condition showing up like this what are you know for me it was a lack of control in my life and so my solution was to move back to ohio and that worked for me and go back to school and have more regimented life and be around people that i love and that love me and that helped a lot but um, other individuals might not have that opportunity so we kind of have to address First that it's even happening and then we can kind of build up from there more of like a grassroots kind of thing
0: yeah absolutely yeah it's hard like if you don't see other people around you talking about it to recognize that it might be you. like you don't have the language to apply or you don't like understand that it can apply to you <laughs>
1: yeah oh, yeah, most definitely. And yeah, like I said, it's and you touched on this, too, of what media is representing. And a lot of us very much live our lives based off what we see in TV and movies and and music stars and things like that and how they live their lives. And those people are idolized and seen as perfect and role models. And uh, that's not necessarily the healthiest behavior to take
0: right, exactly, yeah. so. Obviously, education is a big piece. Um, What would you say maybe for people who have somebody in their life who they think might be experiencing an eating disorder or disordered eating? Um, I don't know. I guess, what would you say? What can people do to help?
1: Yeah, Um, and that can be really hard thing to do, Um, you know, because if you were to say you know somebody. In your life and you suspect that maybe they're experiencing an eating disorder to some degree one it takes a lot of courage to even go to that person and say something but you don't really know how they're going to react either um and you they very well may react dismissively just like my mom did you know like i did to my mom when she said you know i'm worried about you i was like no i'm fine don't worry about me like i'm good you know i'm just being healthy um, and so there is going to be a lot of that dismissiveness And so I think persistence and an understanding and uh, a patience with individuals, um, you know, that you like I said that you might suspect they're experiencing an eating disorder. Uh, And especially with men, I think that again, men are going to have, men might even be even more dismissive than anybody else because again, we're taught that you don't have problems, you know, like it's what, how you're living your life is just fine. And um one, nobody else really has a say in how we live our lives, but also um, should they try to have a say, it's going to be very quick to just dismiss it and be like, nah, don't worry about that. Don't even bring it up. Why are you talking to me about this? Um, Mind your own business sort of stuff. And so I think, you know, that it's going to take time. It's going to take patience and building from coming from a place of concern and understanding and love is going to be very impactful. Um, But also bringing that education piece into it, you know, of maybe bringing up things casually of like, Hey, I just heard this the other day, or I was just, I listened to this podcast and I heard that, uh, you know, they were talking about um, men with eating disorders. And I thought it was really interesting. What do you think about that? You know, and then you can kind of gauge the situation and build up from there. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to take some tact and some and, and, a, and a lot of patience and a lot of compassion um, to bring this up to a loved one, because if they're already not seeking help, then there's a good chance they don't realize they have a problem. Um, but even if they do realize they have a problem, they may not be in a place where they're ready to seek out help. Um, so, um, persistence and patience and compassion, I think are, are all going to be essential things to kind of bring up topics like this to somebody.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like I know some people who have experience with this, who don't fit the typical picture who, when they have sought out help are kind of not taken seriously or they're not believed. Um, do you have any advice or anything about just what to do if you try to reach out for help and it doesn't work the first time? Where where do you go?
1: Yeah. Um, oh man, that would be devastating. I couldn't even imagine. Um, you know, sucking up the courage to to reach out for help and then just kind of being shot down like that. I, you know, in, in medicine, we there's always. There's always a second opinion. You always get a second opinion on whatever it is you're doing. Uh, you never, nobody in all of medicine should ever just take opinion of one person to heart and 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 ride with it. Um, so, you know, going to somebody else would be important. But, you know, I would think going to a specialist first might help. Or, or even if you've already gone to somebody and you've already been kind of shot down, then try to go to a specialist next. Uh, somebody that does specialize in eating disorders. Um, Going to a psychologist uh, probably first would be uh, a psychologist too that specializes in eating disorders. I know even at UNC there are psychologists at the uh, counseling center that do specialize in eating disorders. And so talking to one of those people specifically I think would be a great start because those individuals are – not only trained to be compassionate and understand and listen um and to not just be quick to dismiss but also they would understand how eating disorders manifest themselves and uh, can be much more proactive about it you know if somebody comes you know somebody were to come to me and say they have an eating disorder i would trust that they have an eating disorder that that wouldn't be something that i would say well no you don't Um, it would be like, okay, well, let's talk about that. You know, let's talk about what that looks like. But, um, you know, what makes you say that? So, you know, I guess being cautious with the types of people that you go to. I think going to a doctor is probably not a great start for anybody uh, with an eating disorder because, again, there's psychological conditions. So seeking out counseling and psychologists, psychologists uh, would be the best start. Uh, a lot of people tend to actually go to dieticians first. Um, but like I said, dietitians, we do play a role very much in this and with eating disorders, but we're definitely not, you know, the primary care individual here. Um, we're not the lead on this, you know, we're not, we're not at the top of the charts. Um, we're for the, for the clinicians that matter the most, we definitely matter to the condition, but psychologists are the ones that are ultimately going to treat the underlying reasoning behind it and the cause of it. So, um, seeking out counseling and, you know, there are a lot of different types of counselors out there, a lot of different types of psychologists, a lot of different specialties. Um, unfortunately too, with, you know, going into psychology, you know, going, seeking out counseling, sometimes that takes time to find somebody that works for you too. You know, as you can go to somebody and be like, I'm just not feeling how this counseling is working, you know, like your style as a counselor and what I need as the patient is not really meshing well. And so that can take a lot of trial and error too. And I, so I think even being patient with that process is really huge, knowing that there is a counselor or a psychologist out there for you. Um, and this gets into way bigger talks than just eating disorders but knowing that there is a psychologist out there that's for you and that would work with you and that once you find that person you'll actually notice much more benefit uh, and much more growth because you'll you'll see how impactful it can be to be with the right person so you know again it's going to be a persistence Um, I think finding a friend a close friend or family member to confide in so that they know what's going on and they can be a support system for you. It can be, these can be very isolating conditions, um, where it's you feel like you are alone and you're the only one experiencing this. And you're also hiding this from people or attempting to hide it from people a lot. And so then it's, it's even more isolating because it's this thing that only you know about yourself. And, uh, then you, you venture out and you're like, oh, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to try to talk to somebody. And then you talk to them and they shoot you down and to some degree, and that could be absolutely devastating. And that could set, you know, the wheels in reverse pretty quick there. So finding a friend, a family member, be like, listen, this is what I'm experiencing. I'm telling you because I trust you. I trust that you're not going to go tell other people. I want to be able to talk about it with you. I want you to be understanding. I want you to be here for me. I need you to be here for me and understand. Um, and that could be a significant other, you know, as well, too. But um, I think that could be a huge start because then you have somebody that's in your court with you, that's on your side, that's willing to help out, that can follow up with you, too. And then, you know, can hold you accountable. It's like that person with the eating disorder goes to their friend and says, Yeah, I went to this person and they shot me down. Then the friend can say, Okay, well, yeah, forget that person we're going to find somebody else, you know, we'll do this together. Um, I think that camaraderie and that, again, that's where a lot of that compassion comes in and caring. I think that can go a long way. So I, yeah, as soon as you said that, it's like, well, that that would be demoralizing beyond belief, but I think that would, it would just have to take some time, you know, to know that, know that giving up is not the answer right now. Um, And not just accept the fact that this is, how it's going to be. Um, there is somebody out there to help and it's just, it just might take some time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah. And it's so hard too because when you're first reaching out for help about anything, if you've been struggling with it for long enough, recovery and healing can seem really, really scary. And like a lot of times when you first reach out for help, you're not totally sold on getting better yet so when somebody's like ah nope it's really easy to just take that and run with
1: it yep and just go okay great uh i guess i'm just gonna not ever talk to anybody again about this yeah (laughs) right for sure yeah that's uh, it's it's a really hard process you know again there's really nothing that's super easy about eating disorders um, from the psychological side or the nutritional side But but yeah, the the isolation of it and then uh, trying to seek out help and kind of venturing out and testing out those waters and then realizing that they're not as welcoming as you were hoping they were going to be. You know, and that's why I think that if you have that support structure in your life to some degree, like a friend or a family member that you can confide in, then that can go a long way to kind of keep the wheels in motion and keep you moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, do you have any advice or thoughts for people who might be the support systems support people for um, people maybe men specifically who are struggling with eating disorders, because I think, because it has such a high mortality rate, I think it's kind of something that people tend to freak out a little bit when they're handed, and they don't know what to do with it.
1: Yeah. You know, the, that support side of things. Um, Yeah. You know, I guess I can think about if I was in this position um, of course, you know, there's the education piece of just understanding what are eating disorders and how do they present themselves and knowing that it's not just somebody that could, you know, just be healthy. It's not just somebody being healthy. It's um, or even thinking they're healthy. It's, it's very psychological. It's very tapped into the psyche. And so, First, I think that that needs to be understood. You know that this is a psychological thing. It's not something they can control. This is not something that somebody's consciously really doing. Um, you know, consider it to be a voice in your head for all intents and purposes. Um, that's saying, "This is what you should do. This is what you should do right now." And it's just coming from a a place in the mind that's not necessarily thinking perfectly logically or. or um, or rationally. So I think understanding where eating disorders are coming from and that they can exist in men. And so that if, if a man does come to you, uh, whether you are man or woman, uh, or non-binary, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, um, be understanding and realize that men can have eating disorders and that if they were to come to you with that one, know that there's a lot that actually went into that person coming to you. You know, that, that was a lot of background work that went into that, a lot of mental thought that went into that. That's not just something somebody just jumps into. So they've already given it a lot of thought. They've already had to evaluate that even that there is a problem within them in the first place, which takes a lot in and of itself. Um, and then to build up the courage to go talk to somebody about it that you really care about. And you're a lot of these times, these are considered weaknesses, uh, and and even in women, um, I've known somebody that uh, an individual I dated when I was much younger, she admitted to me that when she was younger, she had an eating disorder and she didn't currently at the time, you know, when we were dating, but she was terrified to tell me, she was absolutely terrified to tell me that even previously and years before she had an eating disorder, because it. she thought I would think that she was lesser or weaker or something like that. And I told her very specifically, like, why would I think that you're weaker? I think you're stronger, actually, because you just told me this, um, you know, that it takes a lot of courage to have to say this to somebody and admit this to somebody. And so that helped a lot. I, I I watched her sort of calm down after she said that, or after I said that to her, you know, that, no, I actually think you're stronger. I don't think you're weaker. I don't think you're any lesser. But again, for individuals with eating disorders are going to have that perception that this this means that I look weaker. Um, and honestly, I'll even admit, I still have that perception, even telling people that I had orthorexia, like it's, I overcome it for the sake of the education of it and to just bring it out there and put it out in the open so that other people maybe feel a little bit more empowered to do it too. But it's, it's definitely very daunting thing to tell people, um, that I had that, that that happened to me. Uh, especially as a dietitian, you know, it's like, well, what are you going to think of me then, too? Like, I'm a dietitian and I'm a personal trainer, and I told you I just had an eating disorder. Um, you know, what sort of context are you going to build around that? And so, being understanding and never dismissing, just listening and understanding is a huge step. Is a huge thing to to do uh, as the support structure for this person. To listen, you can ask okay i i want to help you in any way that i can what is it that would help you the most you know what is it that i can do that would help what would you like for me to do i willing to do whatever it takes you know do you want me to help you find somebody to talk to do you just want to talk to me um whatever it is and uh i think just just being understanding and asking questions um you know, like that of, you know, what is it that I can do for you? I want to help, just let me know what it is. Because maybe somebody just wants to vent, maybe somebody just wants to tell you and just get it off their chest and they don't want any conversation about it. But listen, I had this condition or I have this condition, I'm aware of it. I just wanted you to know, like maybe we'll talk about it more later, but I don't want to talk about it now. Um, And especially uh, men have a tendency to want to provide advice. And, uh, well, it's not even just men, it's everybody. Um, it kind of depends on a personality trait, but, um, I guess I'm saying in men, cause that's how I identify that. <laughs> like, like if they, if somebody comes to me and brings a problem to me, it's very, I very much want to just be like, oh, okay, here's your solution. This is what you should totally do. Um, but that's not necessarily warranted, you know, and that's not necessarily welcomed. A lot of times, you know, it's providing unsolicited advice. And so being understanding about that, you know, especially as a man that comes to another man, I think probably one of the worst things that a man could do to another man. So you have a man that comes to his male friend and says, I have an eating disorder. Like, I think I have a eating disorder. And the worst thing that that friend could do is dismiss that and and, uh, question this individual's masculinity, you know, like. Like what, what are you talking about? What? No, you don't have an eating disorder. Just man up. You know, it's like that man up idea, like man up and deal with it. You're fine. What you lift. And so you have an eating disorder. Don't be such a baby, right? That could so easily play out. And that would shut down all conversation from that other person. They would feel entirely dismissed and invalidated and unheard. And that could have been it. That could have been the one time that that person decided to reach out and that person dismissed them so quickly that they decided to bury it deep down and never tell anybody ever again and then they have to live with that now the rest of their life and depending on the type of eating disorder and how it's presenting itself like you said that could really dramatically increase mortality rates as well too so um being understanding you know, if somebody were to say that to you that is uh you know come to you with these sort of issues that's a that's a really big thing and that's it's a, almost an honor, you know, that uh, that person entrusts in you so much to come to you and they care about you so much and they think your opinion is so valid and you're so, you know, that that you are going to be the one person that, that you know about this. Um, taking that responsibility seriously, I think, can go a very long way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it for the questions I had prepared. Um, Is there anything else that's been on your mind or that you want to talk about? Any final thoughts?
1: Sure. You know, I I think that, um, I think, you know, it's all been discussed at some point, you know, up to this point now, but knowing that men can have eating disorders and knowing that they can, that even just lifting a lot can be getting into eating disorder territory. it's not necessarily to say that somebody that lifts a lot has an eating disorder, but somebody that lifts a lot could have an eating disorder, you know? And so it's not necessarily a given, but it is something that is, is definitely a possibility. Um, and that eating disorders are very serious conditions and they can be very life-threatening conditions. And again, they are very psychological and that these things should be treated and, 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 um, you know, discussed, but with somebody that's a, a mental health professional, you know, with a psychologist, uh, a counselor to some degree, um, you know, and that it's definitely something that can help tremendously. But, you know, I, I definitely encourage people to seek out somebody that has experience with eating disorders, and that has training in that, you know, not all counselors are have the same training and have the same backgrounds and have the same specialties, just like everybody in in the medical field. So um you know, doing your due diligence, doing some research and seeking out somebody that can really help, I think, is a huge step in the right direction. But if you're not even ready for that, then confiding in somebody else can go a very long way uh, and building a support structure. Yeah, uh, eating disorders are not just anorexia nervosa, and it's not just women, and it's not just skinny people. Uh, it's a lot of different things, and it can be every different size and shape. and identity and you could have an eating disorder and so especially in our media today with what the media is pushing on us very much so and and it's changing a bit you know we're getting more into having plus size models and things like that and having models aren't just represented as just really skinny individuals um, you know people that have more of different figures and different body types presenting themselves and different people being represented in television and movies. And that's going a long way now, but it's, we're still pretty far off from where it needs to be. So I think a big thing is understanding the effect that media has on us is probably one of the biggest things that most people don't actually realize and choose to completely ignore. And if you're watching TV and movies and on social media all the time, there's a lot of things that are happening that you're not even consciously aware of. Uh, you know, there's subliminal messaging and subconscious thought, and the brain is a really tremendous thing, and it can it can it can process things without you even realizing you're processing it. And so, knowing that this stuff is really not necessarily helping, and you know, being on Facebook and and Twitter and TikTok or whatever it is, aren't necessarily doing us any favors. Um, in terms of this, this mental attitude that we have towards life and towards ourselves. So, um, being aware of that, I think the first step, again, like with all of this is an awareness and, um, you know, if, if there are people out there that are listening, that are experiencing this, that identify with this, that identify with, um, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe that, maybe that is, um, what I'm experiencing or something like that, then know that there are a lot of other people out there that are experiencing it too and you're not alone in it and you deserve to not have to deal with that just like everybody does so there are plenty of people out there that want to help and are trained to help in the right ways and all it takes is for you to seek them out and even at UNC specifically you know the counseling center is an amazing amazing resource every student gets unlimited free counseling for as long as they're a student it's un- it's an unheard of benefit at universities, as far as I'm concerned, and especially to have individuals on staff that are, you know, experienced in eating disorders and the wide breadth of of experiences that that counseling center kind of provides, I think is is huge. And so, take advantage of that opportunity because once you're out of UNC and you get a full time job, you know, obviously that's what we're kind of hoping all all for that we can get careers and move on. But um, you, know, you might have to pay for services like that and you're going to have to seek it out in a very different way and go through insurance and do a lot of other things. And it becomes a little bit more of a hassle. So um, I definitely want to push for the psychological center or, well, there's a psychological services and the counseling center as well too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much for being willing to talk about this and be vulnerable with your own experiences. I think, yeah, I think. And hope this will help a lot of people outside. yeah
1: yeah well and then thank you for setting it up this was uh it's fun to chat about so if you ever if anybody has questions that they email to you you're always welcome to divert them to me and i can help you know answer anything that that i'm qualified to answer so
0: All right, friends, that is all we have for this week's episode. But we have so much more programming around eating disorders scheduled for this week around campus. Whether you're personally affected or want to learn how to support someone who is, or whether you're just interested in the topic in general, you can find more about what's happening on our Instagram page at UNCO underscore CPE. I want to thank Jeff again for coming on and sharing his experience because it's really hard stuff to do and so, so cool that he was willing to do it. I am also a man who has struggled with this and it was really, really nice to be able to talk to him. I hope that if you're listening, you know that you really, truly are not alone and that things can get so much better. For UNC students, the Counseling Center is a really great place to start healing. Individual counseling is available, and the dialectic Behavioral Therapy Skills Group is also a great fit for folks who are struggling with disordered eating. The closest community resource for eating disorders is the La Luna Center in Fort Collins, and the Emily Project also offers telehealth options for treatment, so you can do things from a distance. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Northern Colorado's Center for Peer Education and was recorded in Greeley, Colorado by Jeffrey Gillis and Elliot Sutton. Editing and mixing by Elliot Sutton. Our incredible theme music was very kindly written by Cola Ramirez. You can find more of his stuff on SoundCloud at Cole Ramirez. I know this was a heavy one, and if you're still listening, I just want to say thanks. You are such a real one, and I hope you learned something. Maybe possibly had some fun. Maybe at least had some, some thoughts. Um, and if you want to share any thoughts or questions, seriously do reach out. We would love to hear from you. Stay cool, stay healthy, and stay safe out there. I love you. Bye.